Welcome to Health Trust Candid Conversation Podcast. This is a conversation series where we highlight physicians, clinicians, and supply chain leaders who are innovating, caring for those in need, and working to improve human life. In this conversation, I talk to Dr. Bruce McIntosh, General Surgeon Specialist at Bowman Health in Michigan, and Brett Whitbread, Senior Director of Clinical Resource Management at Beaumont Health. Brett led and facilitated Beaumont Health's hernia mesh standardization effort, and Dr. McIntosh chaired and championed this initiative among his peers and Beaumont's general surgeons. This is an episode about hernia mesh standardization, the, sta- the strategies they applied, and lessons learned. This conversation inspired me as this is a physician preference item. With so many prosthetics available, it can be difficult for surgeons to choose the most appropriate hernia mesh products pose a challenge to both hospital administrators and mesh users when there are no clear, consistently followed guidelines dictating appropriate hernia mesh selection a lack of product standardization means inefficiencies in the supply chain and higher product costs. Beaumont was successful in their standardization effort, resulting in cost savings and excellent patient care. Hi, Dr. McIntosh, Brett, good afternoon or good evening. So we've heard a lot about your successful implementation and or conversion of the hernia mesh standardization and we're very interested in what you have applied strategy wise on the hernia mesh but first of all um, I'd like Brett to introduce yourself and uh, once after that maybe um, also introduce Dr. McIntosh on his role. So Brett Good evening, Vicki, and thank you for the introduction. I am Beaumont's Senior Director of Value Analysis. As the leader of the Value Analysis team, um, we have four clinical resource managers, and we all lead Beaumont's six regularly meeting value analysis teams. Those teams are the ortho team, the neuro-ortho spine, periop, cardiovascular, clinical products or nursing, and lab. We also have several ad hoc groups such as imaging and respiratory. And on top of that, we frequently create subgroups where we don't have the appropriate representation on each regular value analysis team. We strive to be a fully clinically integrated value analysis team where we are reviewing clinical results, white papers in specific circumstances. In addition, every high level strategy or decision that is made is run by the executive value analysis team, which is comprised of numerous Beaumont C-suite representatives. And then once those strategies are 
decided upon and finalized, it is the value analysis team's responsibility to implement those. And along with that, there are numerous aspects that we have to take into consideration, such as physician education, nursing education and training, but also Beaumont has their own consolidated service center or warehouse where many, many of the high level products that Beaumont utilizes are distributed through that facility. And we have to ensure that once the conversion is complete or live, we're not stuck with a significant amount of the old inventory, or we ensure that it is fully depleted or returned. So those are many of the, uh, the high level responsibilities of the value analysis team. And I will uh, turn it over to Dr. McIntosh to give an introduction of himself. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Vicki. Uh, and thank you for the opportunity to participate uh, today. Um, my name is Bruce McIntosh. I'm a board certified general surgeon. And is working at uh, Troy Beaumont, which is the second busiest by volume, the third largest by size hospital in Beaumont Health. Um, I have served as the chief of uh, general surgery for a number of years and more recently have uh, been named the vice chief of surgical services. Uh, this isn't my first rodeo on a consolidation of mesh. Uh, we did this when we were a three hospital system uh, years ago. Uh, and I incorporated some of the lessons learned then uh, to help make this a successful uh, campaign uh, this time around. Um, it, it's been a pleasure uh, to work uh, with this group. Um, I do also have roles as a, a regional and national key opinion leader working for, ironically, the two largest uh, mesh companies. Um, I do uh, work for both uh, uh, Covidian uh, slash Medtronic as well as Bard VD. And so um, I had to put those uh, hats aside and, and put on my hat of uh, a Beaumont uh, health administrator and a physician leader uh, when I was making uh, my decisions about how I felt was best to go forward. Um, but I think that my knowledge uh, that I've gained about the different products helped me to create a more balanced uh, recommendations uh, as far as the decisions that we needed to make going forward. Great, excellent. So this is a question for Brett. How did you come about with the hernia mess opportunity? There's a lot of categories and savings opportunities within the contracting plan. Uh, why hernia mesh? Good question, Vicki. So Beaumont is a fairly new member to, to Health Trust. And when we started the evaluation of hernia mesh, Beaumont was a member for about two years. So at that point in time, we really picked off the sole source categories that needed to be moved over or the low hanging fruit. So we knew that we, it was time to start evaluating some of the dual and multi-source categories. And as we developed develop our value analysis annual work plan, it's very strategic in the timing that we set up categories for review. We want to ensure that, you know, one, if we are making a conversion, 
It is not going to impact the same set of physicians in a short period of time. Also, we want to ensure that we're not standardizing or making a conversion within 12 months of that contract's expiration. So hernia mesh is one of the uh, multi-source categories that we identified as an opportunity. And ultimately our goal was to standardize to one vendor, um, looked at current market share, the um, savings opportunity per vendor, well, one, one thing that we you know, also had to take into consider, consideration is meeting the tier one contractual requirements. And one thing that posed a challenge for Beaumont was that the uh, BD Dayval tier one requirements included a significant commitment to them for soft tissue biologics whereas they have a very minimal current market share, making that move on the mesh and the soft tissue biologics um, probably wouldn't have been the best strategy or decision. And we're not in the business of making bad decisions. So um, that is kind of where the, the opportunity originated and kind of the thought process that went into facilitating the review. Great, thank you, Brett. So Dr. McIntosh, from a physician perspective, what makes the hernia mesh a unique or challenging category? Well, there, there's lots of different aspects of that. You know, first off, um, there are a lot of surgeons who are just passionate about the mesh they use. Quite frankly, some of the most passionate ones I find are the ones that aren't really educated about the properties of that given mesh, but that's just what they've always used is what you hear, or, you know, I, that's what I trained with. Um, but when you ask them more detail, uh, they can't give it to you. And then the other end of the spectrum, you got the surgeons who really understand. And the real, the reality is, is that hernia mesh is not a commodity and each of the manufacturers uh, is making mesh in multiple different categories. You mentioned that earlier, that there's lots of different Hernia mesh isn't hernia mesh. There's all sorts of subsets within it. And we had to take that into consideration and look at the uh, company that provided the best and the greatest number of matches to the, to the materials that we have from some of the other vendors. You know, some of the uh, things that we need to consider, are what are the densities of the mesh? Uh, and with that, what's the associated burst strength uh, you know, that becomes a big issue with all these lawsuits that you're seeing now where they went to lighter and lighter weight mesh and ultimately got central failures because of not having enough uh, core strength left. The material, um, you know, there's polypropylene, polyester, and, you know, Gore-Tex or EPTFE, uh, the porosity of the material, uh, to name a few. And, and the surgeons that are doing more primarily hernia work uh, those are really important things to them. And so you have to be able to, when you're making a transition, make sure that you're accommodating all of those different surgeons. So that becomes a real challenge. Additionally, then there's some products that are proprietary and none of the other manufacturers are, are going to be able to provide anything close to it. Examples of that are, uh, you know, the self-gripping pro-grip mesh uh, that uh, Medtronic has 
and then the echo deployment system uh, that uh, Bard uh, uh, Dayval uh, has. And, and, and so when you take that in, in a whole, uh, there are lots of different people that you're trying to satisfy with lots of different mesh that they might use different ones in different applications. Most surgeons would, uh, or at least the more experienced surgeons. And so the goal of this was to try and find a sole source vendor that could accommodate the vast majority of the needs of the surgeons. And then from there, have to figure out a way of negotiating in appropriate carve outs when there weren't uh, others available. Um, and I, I think that uh, we did a really good job uh, accommodating those needs. Great, thank you so much, Dr. McIntosh. So Brett, you mentioned the strategy earlier uh, regarding Herniumess standardization. Did the team, your value analysis, peri-op value analysis team, uh, identify the implementation key milestone steps or did it evolve as you work through it? So implementation of the initiatives really kind of falls onto the responsibility of the value analysis team. And we, we work very closely hand in hand with the physicians and the specific site OR directors. And one of the, the most important aspects of physician utilization change within hernia mesh is ensuring that they have the proper education and training and are comfortable with the Covidian product moving forward. So that was really kind of the, the foundation of our implementation plan is to go site by site and the duration which Covidian provided education by site was dependent upon the amount or the volume done. So um, at Troy, where Dr. McIntosh um, works, I think uh, Covidian was there for about three weeks. At Royal Oak, the busiest facility, um, I think that they were there at for about four weeks. So that was really dependent. And we wanted to ensure that um, each physician was comfortable um, with, with the new product. And I, on top of that, as I mentioned earlier, inventory depletion from a supply chain perspective is, is very critical. So we work through this process to one, return inventory that we could to the competitive vendors, or we work with Covidian on you know, swapping out inventory. So, um, in terms of milestones, we were pr pretty successful in meeting the, the dates that we, we set throughout the process. Now, please keep in mind, it did take probably three or four months to get through. And that was with ensuring that each physician had the appropriate education, but also we had to take into consideration any delays associated with, with COVID. Hey, Brett, if, if I can add a couple of things. You're right, COVID was a really big issue for us. The other thing that uh, delayed some of the transition from the smaller hospitals is that at some of the sites, the surgeons just weren't that busy. And so they might not have a ventral hernia on for two weeks. So the rep could be there for two weeks and, and never be able to go into a room and support a case. And so they ended up having to bounce back and forth a little bit. And uh, it wasn't like they were 
in one hospital until completion and then moved on to the next. Um, the reps were, for a period of time, having to leave Troy to go back to some of the other hospitals just because the surgeons finally had those kinds of cases. At higher volume hospitals like Royal Oak and like Troy, um, we didn't have those kinds of, uh, of barriers. Great point, Dr. McIntosh. Thank you. So, Brett, how did you engage physicians and or surgeons and also the staff and get their buy-in that there is this initiative that you guys are working on? So, uh, physician communication was the utmost importance throughout this entire initiative and having the support of Dr. McIntosh from the very beginning made the, the process much smoother. It made, it gave the optics that it was less of a supply chain run initiative and maybe more so of a clinical initiative that's best for Beaumont's patients. But from the very beginning, engagement and communication we took many steps um, to ensure that. So at the, be the beginning of the process, we pulled all the, the EPIC data and tied the specific physician utilization to, to each case and kind of took the 80-20 rule of, to engage the 80% of the highest volume physicians. And we sent them a, a survey and within that survey was to determine what aspects or components of, of the mesh were most important. And that's very similar to what Dr. McIntosh alluded to earlier. Also, as we got into the process a little further, we had a hernia mesh vendor fair and invited uh, BD or Deval and Covidian into Beaumont's corporate headquarters to give them 30 minutes to present on the clinical attributes of their products that they wanted the competitive physicians and surgeons to be aware of, and also gave the, the Beaumont physicians the opportunity to ask questions of the Covidian team or the BD team in a live form. We had surveys for each physician that attended live to complete. So that was uh, that was very successful as well. Um, and then we took we took the information, the feedback back to the value analysis team along with the analysis and the metrics and the market share movement needed to achieve the tier one requirements for both vendors. And ultimately the perioperative VAT voted um, to standardize to Covidian. So that was the essential approval process and what we did on the front end. And then on, on the back end, once it was approved, um, we sent out another physician survey asking the physicians what they felt the BD or Davals, the Ethicons, the Gores, what products should be on an exception list that Covidian did not have a clinical equivalent. So we developed an exception list. Then came the real communication aspect prior to the conversion. Um, we communicated this out through Beaumont's executive value analysis steering committee where 
the, the change would be disseminated down from the C-suite. We went to all eight hospitals, surgical services, executive councils, and met face-to-face -face with them live and told them of the, the pending change so that the chiefs and the executive councils for each hospital could disseminate that communication. And then also we sent out physician letters notifying the physicians of the, the pending change. So really try to focus on the communication into over communicate. And then, uh, then we moved into the, the staggered education schedule that we previously spoke about is to ensure that each physician had the appropriate education prior to asking them to move their utilization. So Brett, when you mentioned about those, um, you have engaged Bowman's physicians, is it a targeted list or surgeons that's using hernia mesh are all included in your list? It really went back to that 80-20 rule. Um, you know, there's some physicians that come in and out of the Beaumont system and they're, they're really low volume and they're doing, you know, single digit procedures month, but we really focus on the high, higher volume physicians and ensure that their opinion and input was heard throughout this entire process. Great. Uh, Dr. McIntosh, you have um, chaired the hernia mesh standardization, and as the physician champion, how did you handle physician pushback? Pushback is always a, a challenge, and, and Brett talked about one of the big things is you have to allow carve-outs. Um, no company, I don't care what product line we're talking about, probably has the best of everything for every subset. And that certainly was the case here. But when you looked at our contractual threshold at 80%, if we could identify that there were some products that we knew that we weren't gonna win on, and we agreed to carve those out and got that written as a carve out, it made it much easier to maintain our contractual threshold at 80%. You know, yes, we're paying probably access price on some of those items, um, but over the course of time, what I found is that uh, the surgeons will try the product if it's there, the, the, can, the comparable or reportedly comparable uh, Medtronic product, and we're able to switch them. I, you know, I'm a perfect example of that. I'm, I was a guy that uh, liked to use the echo positioning system for my robotic hernias. Um, and at the behest of uh, the rep, he said, just try using it in the, the, the characteristics of the underlying mesh that uh, uh, Medtronic was providing was very similar to what the Bard product was. It was just how you got it in and put it up against the anterior abdominal wall. And once I tried it, I realized I could use it. And you know that ends up being a net savings uh, on a same size mesh of you know, four or 500 bucks. So you know, I think that the way we get around it, the pushback is providing the carve outs. And then what'll happen over the course of time is naturally people will gravitate and try some of the competitors products. 
particularly if the reps are doing their job. I mean, it's not up to me to sell a product. Um, it's up to the rep to understand the product and educate the surgeons and when appropriate, the surgeons then make the decision to use it. And, and that's what happened here. Um, you know, I think that the big key was we didn't say, well, you got to use 100% you know, Medtronic, Medtronic products at the exception of everything else. Uh, when there's a better product from a competitor in Medtronic, we made them admit that they didn't have a comparable product. We were then able to uh, write that contractually in uh, as a carve out uh, that wouldn't be held against our 80%. That's a great point. Um, so with those carve outs uh, with some of the surgeons, uh, and pushing out, were you able to, let's say, okay, you're asking for this carb out, but the product that we have is similar to what you want to carb out, or did they have to present to you those criteria for the carb out? What's included and what's excluded? I think there was a little bit of both. Again, you know, my role as a KOL, I understand the products from uh, both companies fairly well. Um, and so there's some things that we knew that there wasn't an echo deployment system equivalent. And many of our surgeons uh, like to use that. Um, so there's some things that were up front. And there's some things, quite frankly, that we added to the list even further down the road that we didn't foresee. As an example, um, when we do complex abdominal reconstruction, uh, you know, there's sometimes when we can use a medium weight mesh and sometimes we need a heavier weight mesh and the heavyweight polypropylene, uh, neither Bard nor uh, Medtronic really had a good version of that. And so it wasn't until later we realized that we had to actually go to Ethicon to get uh, that product. So some of the things we did up front, some of them, you know, surgeons reached out and said, hey, this isn't really working for me. Uh, we don't have an equivalent product anywhere. Uh, but this is what I've used in the past. And in those cases, I think we've all agreed that it was reasonable to allow them to continue to use that product because there was a defined reason they chose to use it in the first place. And mm -hmm. Vicki, in the establishing the exceptionalist, when we distributed a survey to ask the physicians what they felt were proprietary products, many of those products that are now on the exceptionalist today came through at 80, 90% of the physician response. So if that's the scenario, you, we have a pretty good um, understanding that those should be included and that there's no equivalent that Covidian provides. I see. So from the initiation of this initiative to the completion, meaning all the key milestones are completed and you have completed your conver conversion, meaning depleted your inventory, now you're ready to use what's on your so-called formulary. What, how long did that take before you measure your realized savings? And I guess before measuring the realized savings, are you tracking the progress of your conversion? I, I can touch on touch on that, uh, Dr. McIntosh. So from the onset of starting the initial physician survey that was distributed out based upon the material, preference of materials to the go live or the, the final go live 
at Troy for conversion purposes, we're looking at probably 15 months. And some of that it was COVID, COVID impacted as value analysis was shut down um, for about three or four months to focus on COVID related issues. But yeah, probably about, about 15 months. And um, we started measuring contractual compliance once three or four sites went through the education process, Troy just completed their um, education this past end of January, mid middle of February. So we really got to understand total system-wide compliance about March. And the results are really, really impressive. So the Covidian tier one requirement is 80%. We're averaging somewhere in the range of 93 to 95% compliant Covidian utilization. Really, really small um, amount of BD utilization still remaining within the system. Wow, that's an excellent result. Yeah, you know, Brett, if I can just dovetail on that, um, that part of the reason that Troy was delayed is that um, our hospital was traditionally the highest barred utilizing hospital in the system. Um, and that's probably more my fault than anyone else's. Um, so we were designated to be the last hospital so that we could spin down all the product that was in the warehouse. So um, we were kind of left as the sole barred hospital until we burned through as much of the material as we could. And once we got down below a certain threshold, then it was like, okay, it's time to pull the trigger for Troy. I'm proud to say that the first month that we went live with our, um, our conversion, we met the 80% and we haven't looked back since then. And I think that speaks to the surgeons at Troy and they're willing to be open-minded uh, and more globally to the surgeons in Beaumont Health, and they're willing to be open-minded about these opportunities for saving and understanding that uh, a, a hospital physician relationship is symbiotic. Uh, we rely on the hospital and the hospital relies on us. And if we drive the hospital broke by spending money on really expensive mesh, we're not gonna get the other things we need to be able to practice and provide good care for our patients. Uh, I think Beaumont Health and my hospital at Troy is a perfect example of how when we work together, we both have greater success. That's an excellent point, Dr. McIntosh. Excellent point. If I could add one thing here, I think the overall success of this project is attributed to having physician leaders guide the process, ensure that we're not making bad decisions, following their recommendations, um, the recommendations for communication. I think that, that the success is directly attributed to the input that they have provided. And we really try to mimic this process with other physician preference items that are, that are being reviewed, work with physician champions, um, identified subject matter expert subgroups that um, you know, can opine on the clinical benefits of these contracts and the products and you know see truly what the differences 
are in the private products, can one vendor cover the complete anatomy or all procedures? That's a great point. Uh, so this is a question for you, Brett. You have mentioned about your compliance tracker and you have full implementation happened in March, if I remember correctly from what you mentioned earlier. At what point in time were, when are you going to stop tracking the conversion prog uh, progress? So in, in terms of compliance, we're, we're already tracking it and we report out in, on it monthly. So a compliance report goes out to the entire perioperative VAT, the executive value analysis committee, which is the C-suite members, hospital presidents, CMOs, chief operating officers get the monthly compliance reports and they, they can see where each, their site sits in terms of compliance, but also it has the non-compliant utilization as well. Although minimal, um, want to ensure that you know those conversations you know, can be had if needed. In terms of realized savings, um, we'll probably start measuring realized savings six to nine months down the road once we have you know, complete run, run rate and um, the competitive inventory work throughout the system. Um, I think that occurred in March, April as well. That's great timeline. You mentioned earlier, Brett, about the non-compliance when you're measuring your conversion, conversion progress and you notice that there is non-compliance, how do you then address that? And when do you involve Dr. McIntosh? So one thing that we have to be very cognizant of is Beaumont in the perioperative that approved the strategy at 80% compliance. Yeah, it's great to be, you know, in, in the mid 90, but that also leaves 20% utilization for non-compliant products. And as long as we're meeting that 80%, it's it's difficult to have those those conversations in our perspective when we sold it as, you know, we have to meet this 80% threshold. This is the amount of business that we would have to move. And since we're sitting at, you know, mid nineties right now, in my perspective, we, we shouldn't be asking those physicians to move their utilization unless it's egregious. Yep, you've met your goal and just keep up with that good work. Yeah, one thing I learned from a couple of conversions. So the first conversion that I was involved with, we didn't have a sole source or a primary source. And this was, gosh, like I said, a, a long time ago, um, you know, probably 12 years ago. And so we looked at every SKU that we had uh, on the shelf from all the vendors. And we asked each of the vendors to provide uh, an RFP for uh, what's their equivalent product and their best price. And at that time, Bard really had uh, a better uh, complement of, of different mesh available based on the technology of, of the day. And Royal Oak uh, went with a top-down approach. 
and I went with a bottoms up approach to uh, making conversion. I went to each of my surgeons and I said, hey, here's the situation. Do you think you can make this work? And when you explained it in those terms, you know, they all, every surgeon wants to be the guy who can step up um, because that's how surgeons are wired. And we had great success. At Royal Oak at the time, they, they did the, um, this is what you're gonna use. And you can imagine how well that works because surgeons like to be asked to do something, not told that they have to. I think of, of another example that uh, looms large in the Beaumont uh, Health uh, was they made a conversion uh, from Ethicon to the Covidian suture uh, a number of years back. And Brett, you weren't here, but I'm sure you've heard the horror stories of that in the past. Um, and that was one where corporate made a decision and Everin suture was switched over to what was at that time, I believe an inferior product and surgeons were having all sorts of problems. Quite frankly, it led to some out migration of surgeons to other hospital systems, uh, you know, for part, if not all of their work before ultimately Beaumont had to uh, capitulate and go back to uh, using Ethicon suture. You know, so we have to be very careful. The lessons that I have learned from this is that upfront discussions with the surgeons, rather than a true top-down approach, Brett had mentioned that, you know, this came from uh, above, but it wasn't without a bottoms-up uh, vetting first. And then once it was vetted uh, on the, the back end, it came as a top-down. And I think that's reasonable uh, as a way of providing alignment. But you can't shove things down uh, physicians' throats that are inferior just because they save money. And I think that the lessons learned from uh, the Ethicon uh, world and from the two conversion uh, experiences of Royal Oak and Troy uh, from years ago uh, were taken uh, into consideration when we formulated a plan to make this uh, conversion be the success that it was. That's an excellent point, Dr. McIntosh. Uh, and I completely agree with you. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. McIntosh and Brett. Thank you, Vicki, for uh, allowing us the, the time here today. I've, I've enjoyed the time and hopefully this is beneficial to the listeners. I bet it will be, Dr. McIntosh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Health Trust Candid Conversation Podcast. Please visit education.healthtrustpg.com to find additional resources for clinicians and to listen to more of our candid conversations.